Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. So, you want to ride a motorcycle better, faster, safer, with more skill and confidence? Or do you want to ride a motorcycle for the first time? Or ride again after taking a break from riding? Well, the purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, smarter, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even as a fan or a participant in some form of motorcycle racing. My game is to help all motorcyclists up their game. This is episode 59 titled Shiny Side Up with Andrew Goodman. In this episode, I have an awesome chat with motorcyclist Andrew Goodman about his new book, Shiny Side Up, From First Ride to Fast Rider. Andrew started riding motorcycles in his early 20s. Finding a more effective way to commute through rush hour London traffic was the excuse, but in learning to ride, he fulfilled a lifelong goal. He hit the ground running and got hold of anything and everything he could find to help him understand his strange and beguiling new hobby and a more experienced mentor to show him the ropes. Ever since he can remember, Andrew has been fascinated with how things work. He eventually became a chartered mechanical engineer and has applied his knowledge of engineering and physics to his riding progression, whether servicing bikes, commuting, or track riding. So join us as Andrew and I talk about all things motorcycle. This episode was recorded as a live video shown using Facebook Live. So if you prefer, you can check out the video on my Facebook page, So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle. Stay tuned as I will be doing as many of these podcast recordings as possible using Facebook Live, usually on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I will, of course, continue to make the audio portion available via this podcast. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, September 9th, 2020, and is being published on Tuesday, October 6th, 2020. I hope you enjoy it. Please remember that I love getting feedback from listeners, so when you're done listening, please message me on Facebook or Instagram or email me at soyouwantaride at yahoo.com and let me know what you thought of this episode. Anything you want to share with me will be a tremendous help and greatly appreciated. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place, because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. My special guest tonight is Andrew Goodman. Uh, Andrew is, among many other things, and we'll probably talk about much of that tonight, is author of the book Shiny Side Up, from first ride to fast rider. So, uh, Andrew, it's uh, it's awesome to have you on the show. Finally, I know we've been talking about doing this for a while. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It's uh, it's great to be on the show. Yeah, awesome to have you here. So, let me just um, so for anyone who is tuned in and watching, if you have questions for Andrew or myself, you can just post them as comments on uh, on this posting on my "So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle." Uh, podcast Facebook page and just for the live feed you should see comments and I'll do the best I can to monitor things as Andrew and I are talking and we'll take up your questions and whatnot if there's something that you didn't want to ask during the video or that you forgot or you're watching this video later and you have questions you can just email me at so you want to ride at yahoo.com so um so yeah so uh so here's at least one of the things we're going to talk about tonight your book (laughs) which uh, yeah. I finished reading some time ago. It's, uh, it's very, very good. So um, I guess may- maybe we'll start with the simple question. Uh, 
what what made you what made you use this title shiny side up i mean i know it's it's a phrase motorcyclists tend to throw around but is there any particular significance to you yeah i mean i think it was i was looking for something i suppose something like a meme that that would be um understandable a catchy term that people would uh, would would look at and understand what the book was about i mean essentially it's about um yeah making sure that <laughs> you keep everything uh keep the, the right way up, up. <laughs> shiny yeah up. um so uh yeah I, I went through a few titles but it had it, to be, it had to be catchy so that was the one it's it's not the first book um called that about motorbikes i'll i'll warrant but still i felt like it was um it was appropriate yeah yeah cool 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 and then um how 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 long ago did you start the book like when 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 did you first get the idea to do it and and how long did it, it take to kind of pull everything together yeah the first i remember that the first time i had the thought i was i was on a um a stag do I, I think you guys call it um a bachelor party okay so yeah. we with some friends we were down in bournemouth and um i was living in london at the time so i had a a motorbike that was my means of transport and uh, so did a friend. So we went down on our bikes. And after all the partying was done, we still had this house for a few more days. So we decided we would just hang around down in Bournemouth, down on the beach. And on one of those days, we, we went for a ride, which was nice down on the coast, uh, had a little blast along, you know, the country lanes. And um, yeah, I just got back and I felt, I just felt great. You know, I had this wonderful sense of life is yep. good, motorbikes are Awesome. awesome. And I just thought I, I just wanted to share that enthusiasm with as many people as possible. And I thought, well, you know, I like writing. So maybe I should write a book. Maybe I should write down what I've learned about it. But that was that was back in 2010. So, you know, that was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was when the first that was when I first had the idea. And then I suppose it, it, it's been over the years. I've just been, as I felt inspired to write stuff, I've just written it down and it sort of gathered up, you know, gathered up more and more material. And then really towards the end when I was thinking, look, I need to, <laughs> I need to get this book published. Right. And I, um, yeah, I hired an editor and, and um, that was when, you know, things, you know, the last sections of writing a book where they edit it for you and you get, you have to make it really, good and polish it off mm-hmm. that was um yeah sort of 2000 2018 2019 so it probably took me about a year to write of of solid time but you know spread over maybe five or six years from like oh that's that's pretty cool so so about yeah. that time so 2010 you said right when you kind of decided you wanted to do it it sounds like you were just i, I don't know, just kind of write bits here and there or maybe yeah. outlining and things of that yeah sort. yeah sure i mean you, you know you you live life and then you write it down, right. <laughs> you live more life, you, you know, you write your observations down. So it's, it's, it's pretty much everything I know about motorbikes in a book. So it's useful mm-hmm. for me as well to, to refer to, but yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it hasn't got everything in there, but it's, it ne- you know, the subject will never be complete. So you, you can just do what you can really. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, any, any thoughts yet of a second volume? Is that like, in in the future plans, or are you kind of just going to play that by ear? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, having written the book and and then sort of looking back at what I've what I've written, uh, it's interesting. I got the 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 editor of the book to do a synopsis of the book, so it's quite interesting to to read what somebody else thinks what you've actually written. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, they give their opinion, and um, 
Yeah, I think um, there was more in that in that book about sports psychology than I was perhaps anticipating. And, and this has always been something that's interested me. So, you know, why why are some people successful in motorbikes and other people not? Why do some people win, you know, multiple races and other people struggle? Um, especially, you know, on these kind of uh, high-risk events like MotoGP or, or road racing, like the Isle of Man. I've been to the Isle of Man and I've seen the guys there and the racers there. And, you know, that the, the psychology of racing... And it is a very individual thing. That's something that really fascinates me. So I think if I was to to do a, to write another book, it would probably be more along that line. Um, you know, the psychology of, of, um, yeah, riding and, um, yeah, it's, it's all part on part and parcel of, um, how you become a successful biker, isn't it? You need to have the right mindset in order right. to, uh, to succeed, whether you're, yeah, whether you're just going out down to, down the shops to to get a, a pint of milk, or whether you're, uh, you know, racing in um on the roads on the Isle of Man. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It, it's interesting that you that you bring that up because I know, you know, in in listening to various interviews with racers or even a couple of racers that I've interviewed, that subject often comes up. You know, there, there's a great deal to motorcycling and racing. You know, there's the technology, there's the equipment, there's the preparation, there's the physical training. But ultimately, it comes down to, in a large part, the mental side of it, you know, the, the psychology yeah. of it, if you will, and, and, and the rider's mindset, you know, towards it. And I guess the fact that you can have a team and a bike and a rider that's all prepared, awesome, but if, if the rider's mind is not in the game, I mean, it, it's yeah. such, it's one of the things that fascinates me about motorcycle racing. And it's one of the reasons I covered a lot on the podcast. And, you know, even though like some people who find my podcast, they're, you know, expecting just kind of, you know, motorcycle content for new riders and, you know, how do you get started? And I, I do that kind of stuff. But the thing that fascinates me about motorcycle racing is to me, it's pretty much the top of the game. You know, if, if you think about the skills and the knowledge required motorcycle riders are at the top of the game that we're all kind of playing. And of course it varies, right? Cause there's different disciplines. There's road, you know, there's road riding and there's dirt riding and you know, there's, there, there's motocross and you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Supercross. And you know, there, there are these different aspects. There's endurance riding, there's all kinds of things, but it just fascinates me because like I said, these people are just operating at the top of their game. And it's just interesting to see, the performance of some of the top riders, whether it's like MotoGP, World Superbike, you know, in the States, it's Moto America. Um, you know, one thing that seems to come across for sure is the top, top riders always seem to make it look so easy. And it doesn't mean that they don't work crazy hard at it because they do. And they probably work at least if not harder than their competitors, but they put it all together in a way that they just kind of make it look easy. And, and so that's something I've kind of picked up for my street riding, you know, is, is that's, you know, I, I want to get also, you know, kind of as good at my street riding so that it's at the point where that is just smooth and easy. Like it looks easy. It doesn't look like there's, there's effort involved, mm. you know? So, yeah. I mean, yeah. the, the, the training, the physical training and the, um, the muscle memory that you develop from just putting in the hours in the saddle, whether it's, you know, racing or just riding, commuting or whatever, right. that, that you can't, there's no other, there's no other way you can, you can get that experience. You, know, you have to put the hours in, you know, you've got to get your chops basically. Yeah. And, and I think um, 
the more you do that, you know, when I started out, I was very tense and I just, I wanted to ride as much as possible. So I gave myself the excuse of commuting, you know, when I started. So I, I was living in, um, in just south of London, so in the southeast of the UK. And um, it's around about early 2000s, traffic was horrendous. And I just got fed up of sitting in traffic jams. And I thought I was sitting there and I saw this bike go through, you know, filtering through the through the stationary traffic. And I thought, yeah, I, I, I quite fancy being on that bike. And then I then I went through and eventually got my license. And, you know, I was living away from home. So I was forging my own my own path in life. And I thought, right. yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. It's something it's something that had interested me for a long time. But but yeah, I am. Um, yeah, I just decided that that's what I was going to do but yeah it, it gave me the excuse to ride that's the point I was making you know commuting every day just just learning how the controls work and how the bike responds and if if the back of the bike moves out ever so slightly it's not the end of the world or if you're riding in the wet you know it feels slightly different to the drive but actually there's more traction than you than you realize it's you know how the different road surfaces work it's just hours and hours and hours in the saddle and i think yeah that when you see someone who's doing this stuff and it looks easy it's because they've they've taken that time you know they've been mm-hmm. rice, racing since they were you know 16 or whatever 14 or, 10 or five, or five or six yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so you know it's it's just it's just about that isn't it you just got to you just got to put the hours in. There's no, there's no way you can fake it. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, that that's a really good point because it, it it's a doing thing for sure. I mean, there there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to know, but it's so much the the physical skills that you develop and, like you said, the muscle memory and things of that sort. I don't know. Are are you familiar at all with uh, Moto Jitsu? Have you come across that at all? I've heard so, you mentioning. It. Yeah, like I've mentioned several times on my podcast. So, you know, Greg Widmar, who I had interviewed kind of actually early on, I think he was episode number nine. Um, one of the things I like about his approach and, you know, he's got a YouTube channel and he's, he's actually, I don't know, he's up to 150,000, you know, uh, subscribers and whatever. So he's wow. become pretty popular around the world. One of the things I like about his approach is his emphasis on that. You know, like one of his catchphrases is shut up and practice. You know, it's like, it's actually lots of different things. You know, it's basically invest in you as the rider before you worry about investing in all the fancy parts on the motorcycle, you know, buy the motorcycle you want. Yeah, sure. But then invest in yourself to develop the skills so that you can, you know, ride a motorcycle safely if you're on the street or if you're on the track that you can, you know, ride the motorcycle to its potential before you worry about upgrading and getting all the fancy technology and all that kind of stuff. Um, And, and the, the guy rides a lot. And, and the other thing I like is that in the, you know, he puts out videos that demonstrate his skill and capability. So it's not, he doesn't just talk about it. You know, he, you know, he does videos where he'll talk about technique and whatever, but then he'll put up a video that, that shows him doing such and such, you know, um, and, and he, he will say flat out, you know, he is that good. It's not like he has some natural talent or ability, although maybe, you know, he may be a little more gifted than some of us, but it's the fact that he just practices, practices, practices. You know, so that's one thing he practices a lot too. Whenever he goes out to ride, it's with some purpose in mind. You know, he's going to practice this technique or he's going to focus on this thing, or he's going to see how this works. And he tries a lot of things. So to your point, you know, about learning, Hey, if the rear wheel slides out, 
it's okay. You don't have to panic. He'll purposefully create those kind of situations so he can practice, 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 you know, till mm-hmm. he feels comfortable at it. And that, that's something I would encourage like any new rider to do, you know, as, as they're ready, you know, you don't want to overstep the bounds of what you're ready for, but you know, don't just let it be a surprise and then see how you can do. It's like, you know, as best you can simulate the potential problems. You know, like he's a big proponent, you know, practice emergency braking in a parking lot, you know, see, yeah. you know, how quickly can you break at 20 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour. Don't, don't find out when you're in a panic situation and you haven't developed the feel for how the brakes work or what the sensations are, you know, having the rear wheel lifting up, up off the ground and stuff like that. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I really like that. Um, that that notion of of doing things deliberately mm. you know having the intention before you before you set out i think another one of your guests i think it was the guy um who does Maybe the tours street skills uh no, the, John, guy does John the, the guy who does the 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 tours in the, the motorcycle tours in europe oh yeah uh cat mcleod yeah cat yeah that's yeah, right yeah. Yeah. so he i think he said at the end of, of the pod that he was on you know, this is this is a sport. You know, that go in go into it with an in, with an intention. What am I going to do today? What am I going right. to do today? And and I think that if you look at motorcycles as the, the the potent tools that they are, I mean, that's why they're exciting, isn't it? They're they're powerful. Yeah. Um. You know, you, they are. The sense of control is is really phenomenal. But if you if you don't focus or if you can't handle what you're trying to do or you're in the wrong fr- frame of mind when you're doing it the reper- repercussions can be serious so right. yep. you need to you need to go in with a with a more finely tuned mindset about what it is you're trying to achieve so yeah that's good yeah no i agree and, and it is interesting that point that he made sorry i'm just uh, just posting up that we're live here so if we can get some more people watching um oh, my girlfriend gina's watching hey gina and Caleb, actually, Caleb is a Moto America racer. At least I think he's racing this season. Also, Dennis has joined. So, hey, guys, uh, guys and gals, ladies, any questions you have, uh, feel free. Just post a comment, and uh, we will take them up as we can. Um, but, yeah, just that idea of, about a sport. And I've heard other people make that reference, too, you know, how um, like a golfer, a top yeah, it's 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 funny because maybe Cat made this point. Uh, I forget it was him if it was him or not. But you know, people think about pro athletes, right? Like you know, baseball players, basketball players, whatever. It you, like you just automatically connect that with hours and hours of being on the the diamond, being on the court, practicing, practicing, drilling, drilling, having a coach. Um, and obviously, that's done with motorcycling, right? I mean, there are plenty of schools and coaches and things available, but I don't know. And I guess in part, you know, because you know, motorcycling is an industry, interesting thing because, yes, it's a sport, but it's also a leisure time activity. It's also a socializing activity. Like there, there's different reasons that people get involved, right? I mean, you know, some people love motorcycling because they're cool machines and you can customize them and do awesome paint jobs and put chrome and tow them around from all around the country from show to show and show them off and hang out with cool people that also like to build bikes. Like that's that's one way of enjoying motorcycling. Me personally, I love seeing those kind of things, but I, I just want to get out and ride. Like I want to, I want to go out and do the thing. So, I guess my point is, not every motorcyclist, not everyone that com- comes into the the hobby or the sport has the same mindset that I do, which is, hey, this is like a physical activity that I want to get as good at as I can. You know? 
Yeah. Yeah, sure. But you know that I think that's fine, isn't it? People should be allowed to explore this as much or as little as they want, because the last thing we want to be doing is is pushing people to do stuff. Dictating. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, yeah, because as I said earlier, the repercussions can be serious if you get it wrong. So the last thing we want to be doing is, is saying, Oh, you should do this. You should do this. And then finding out actually they, they weren't really up for it. Right. True. And you know, it's actually interesting because the thought I just had is, you know, I'm very accustomed to very early on when I started riding, you know, I heard this expression, ride your own ride. Um, and, and a lot of us, you know, in the podcasting world, we throw that around and we recommend people ride their own ride. And, and I agree with that concept. Um, but I, I guess the thought I had is that's not, it's not just the physical side of riding. It's kind of like enjoy motorcycling the way you enjoy motorcycling. Like mm-hmm. if, if you're a racer and your thing is racing, do that thing, you know, and be good at it and enjoy it. If your thing is building custom bikes, okay, that's your thing. Do that thing, you know, be good at that thing. You know, don't, yeah. don't feel pressured that you have to be able to put in good lap times or something because that's not that's not you know what i mean that's not your involvement um you know and and there you know there are people i'm sure you know who kind of cover it all you know like they build their own bikes like they're their own mechanic they're really good on the track they've got you know they teach um you know they kind of have the whole package you know not not all of us either have the interest or the time you know to do that kind of thing yeah sure yeah because we have day jobs we have day jobs right which 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 helps to pay for the addiction (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but listen, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of uh, guys who race who who have day jobs. You know they. That's true. As uh, you know, as you know, you've spoken yeah. to many of them. Sure. So um, yeah, it's it's just yeah, whatever we can do, <laughs> feed the addiction. Yeah, whatever we can do to uh, to, to follow um, yeah to follow our, our hearts in life, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And, if, and if and if it's a passion of yours, then you know you'll find a way to make it to make it uh, happen and um right. somebody i just finished reading john mcginnis's book so john mcginnis is a um, very successful uh, road racer at the isle of man tt mm-hmm. and other road races he's yeah. he's uh, he's good on the uh, short circuits as well but um yeah i've just finished reading his book and um yeah the the impression i got was that he he just focused on racing and you know he didn't really think about anything else like he didn't think about whether he had the money to do it mm. he would just have this single single minded purpose i am going to race because i love racing and he did and you know as a result he, he got in loads of practice he raced you know the short circuits and eventually when he had a bit more experience and he knew what he was doing he went to the isle of man he thought he was you know wonderful and then he got sort of brought back down to reality you know <laughs> Yeah. he got uh yeah he got taught a lesson or two but then he carried on doing it and you know he just um yeah if he had said oh i haven't got the cash i haven't got the money he would never have got to the point where he where he is today and um yeah that was really i, th- I thought that's that's kind of a yeah it's not just him it's anyone who wants to uh to get to where they want to go if they just stick right. to it they, yeah. uh, they'll eventually get there won't they yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting too, because uh, it's something I had taken a look at recently. You know, I've been, as you know, I've been doing track days this season. You know, got started doing yeah. that, and you know, the, the tracks that are available to me are a little distance away. The one up New York State um, is about four hours drive, and then down Southern Jersey, this one's about three hours. Um, wow. And and the truck I have. And I've got like 140,000 miles on it, starting to have transmission issues, and it, it's just not 
you know, an ideal tow vehicle, right? So when it comes to going to the tracks, I'm like, ah, you know, I don't really want to use this thing to tow my motorcycle. So either I borrowed my girlfriend's truck or whatever, or, you know, I've looked at renting a truck. But the point I'm getting to is I've read stories along the lines of what you're talking about, about the pro racer, you know, and it, it happens today, but, you know, whatever, 70s and 80s when like road racing was really a huge, huge thing. You know, you had these guys that all they had was a beat up van and a motorcycle and some gear and they just they figured out how to pay to get to get from one race to the other in whatever they were driving you know and if the the van broke down they fixed it and then when they got to the racetrack you know they had to work on the bike and make sure it was set up and if they crashed they did the best they could to fix it and put it together that that concept of what you're saying of, of it nothing there was their passion. It's the thing they wanted to do. And so yeah. there was no like, oh, th- this isn't right. And that's not right. They just made it work somehow. Yeah. You know, it's like that, yeah. that spirit of just make it go right, I guess. you know. I would like to take a little break here to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by the following supporters of my podcast. Thumper Club member John Gardner, also known as G4. Parallel Twin Club members Shane Patella and Jerry Vivaro. V-Twin Club member Harley Nemzer from the On the Road Again Motorcycle School. Triple Club member Aaron at The Motorcycle Rider. Inline Four Club members Andrew Goodman, author of the book Shiny Side Up, From First Ride to Fast Rider, and Richard Warfield Jr. of R-Dub Studios and the Loud Pipes Podcast. And V-4 Club members Robbie Ciccolo Jr., the Moto America Twins Cup racer and N2 track day coach, and John Del Vecchio from the Street Skills LLC Motorcycle Riding School and author of the book and online course, Cornering Confidence. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your support. It is greatly appreciated. If you feel you're getting value from my podcast and you'd like to join these supporters to help grow my podcast and other motorcycle-related content and thus contribute to the growth of the sport of motorcycling, please check out the podcast supporters link on my website. And now, back to the show. Yeah, John John McGuinness in his book he's he mentioned so he had this really beat up um Ivoco van um that but basically nothing worked. It was it's just a death trap. Um and he'd have his bike in the back with, with hardly any spare parts. Um no no um MOT, you know, no uh, ticket uh, of, of roadworthiness, okay. uh, no insurance, no road tax. He, and he would just drive this to places and think, well, you know, as long as I don't hurt anybody, it's fine. Um, and then he would get to the races. He was riding two strokes at the time. He went to um, this guy, Joey Dunlop, the most successful road racer of all time. And, and between races, he borrowed a piston from him. So he took the piston out of the bike, gave it to, to John McGuinness, who put it in his bike. He did a, did a race in it. And at the end of the race, he gave the piston back to him. So he literally had nothing. You know, his spares were, were non-existent. And if, right. and if something happened, you know, if a foot peg breaks off, you know, what do you do? You probably try and steal one off someone else you know, to, keep your, yeah. to keep your show on the road. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, Determination. It's, it's funny. One of the guests I had was Tony Sheriff, who um, he grew up in New Zealand. He's in the States now, but he raced motorcycles in New Zealand and Australia. Uh, I think it was in the 80s. And uh, he, he told a story about, I don't know, like bust, busting his, his, his butt to just get over to Australia to do this one particular race. And it was, again, it was like a shoestring budget. You know, they did what they could do. He shipped his bike over there and then they need to do the, to trailer it to the track. And the, the guy that had 
the tow vehicle to pull the trailer to put the motorcycle on didn't have a hitch. You know, so they just they somehow they just freak something up. They like they like just you know, took the the tongue of the trailer, put it on the bumper of the car, and they found a way to cable it up or something so that it was it was at least attached, and, and off they went. And you know, they they trailed the thing. So it, it is bright. it is kind of interesting, like the ingenuity that that I guess can come out of it. And and I guess that's what's really interesting too about. And I happen to like technology. You know, I do information technology for a living, right? So that's my bread and butter. But so it is fascinating to me to see, you know, how technology has evolved in motorcycling. I mean, you know, some of these machines, like I did California Superbike School, right? I'm on a BMW S1000RR. Yeah, it's got all kinds part. of fancy buttons and gadgets and, and things on it. Um, there's some really cool stuff out there, like very high-tech stuff. And if you can afford to have it, that's awesome. But I guess you don't, my point is you don't need all that stuff to enjoy it. Right. You could just no, have, you know, a running motorcycle that you can afford some gas for and just go out and enjoy being on two wheels. Yeah. I mean, having, having owned, um, you know, beginner bikes and super bike, I had a GSX R thousand and then I've, I, I sort of got a, I went, I stepped, stepped back a bit cause that got stolen, which, uh, which was, ah. you know, Bummer. pretty bad and then i thought oh i'll just get something that's you know less likely to get stolen because i was living in london at the time um but yeah having gone to a lesser bike there's still enjoyment to be had there in if anything it, it it makes you try a bit harder makes you work a bit harder so you hear people people talking about racing 600s and how yeah. it makes you a better rider because you haven't got this surfeit of power so you your technique needs to be good and there's something quite nice about also not being on the fastest bike. So if you're out riding with other people, you know, it's about, it's more about the rider, isn't it? Than it is yeah, about the bike. About the, right. um, but it'll teach you, it'll teach you a lot um, about how to ride whatever, whatever bike you're on. Um, as long as you, as long as you ride that bike as it was designed to be ridden. So, you know, don't get on a touring bike and, ride it like a, a track bike right because you'll, right. you'll be disappointed uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Good and point. don't expect to get on a super bike and ride it like it's a um you know ride, a ride it through the countryside and expect to be all comfortable for hundreds of miles <laughs> well maybe depending on you know yeah. if you like uh, yeah if you like a bit of torture but but the point is you know that these these things were designed for a purpose and generally they're good at doing what they've been designed for um yeah. so yeah just yeah i always bear that in mind don't get don't get too carried away here yeah, no, that, that, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, I, I know there's this phrase that, you know, I, I hear and I throw around about, you know, it's, it's better to ride a, a, a slow bike fast than a fast bike slow kind of thing yeah. in, in, in terms of learning, learning the technique and, and the frustrating whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because for sure, it's like if, you know, and the thing too is it's like, I was going to say, so, so yeah, so you're on a powerful sport bike, right? Like let's say you're track riding or something and, and yes, you can make up for mistakes to a certain degree because you've got so much power here. Right. So, you know, you don't, you don't take the turn properly. Okay. Well, you can always just get on the throttle coming out of the turn, you know, and, and you make up your time on the straightaway, but you know, you're not developing good technique to your point. Um, which honestly yeah. is just going to get you in trouble. So it's kind of like if you kind of wind it back a little bit and it's like, all right, take the slower bike and let's learn the technique. Then once you've got that, you've mastered that, and then you can really appreciate and get the best out of the better equipment. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think for track riding, I, if I did lots of track days, or if I did any track days these days, 
I would be happy with a 600 or a 750. Mm-hmm. I don't think you really need a thousand cc on track, but I would say on the roads, just for that instant torque, you know, any, uh, the closer you get to a thousand cc, in my opinion, you know, I don't like to thrash a bike everywhere, so I quite like to have that instant grunt when I open the throttle. Yes. So that, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it sounds a bit strange that actually I'd want a, a thousand cc on the road rather than a six hundred, but it suits my riding style better. Okay. I'm sure, if you know what that. Yeah. No, I mean, no. That, that's an interesting point. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the first track day I did was with my uh, Z nine hundred RS, which is you know it's almost a liter bike, which was great. Um, actually the first two times. And then I rented a Ninja 400, um, just because I wanted one, a a bike that was more set up for the track. Um, and two, that just, you know, again, that this idea of just, you know, start with something manageable and then develop the skill and kind of go up from there. So I've actually scheduled, I'm going to do another track day in about two weeks on the same thing. going to rent one of the Ninja 400s, maybe another one in October if I can squeeze it, you know, if, if, uh, if the weather looks decent and, and I got the pocket change to do it. And then, and the next season we'll see, I'm actually thinking I may, I may invest in a track bike, but that's a, uh, oh, wow. that, that's, that's a whole other story. <laughs> you so know, how probably, was, probably something used. How was the, um, the BMW? Cause I hear, I hear great things about that bike. It's, it's awesome. I mean, you know, it's not like I was thrashing the thing. I mean, you know, in what I did in California Superbike school, you know, I did levels one and two, which is, you know, two of the four different levels that they provide levels of training, basically, you know, levels one, two, and three are fixed curriculum for every student level four. Every time you come back and you redo level four, they basically just help you with whatever you need help with, right? So that's kind of open-ended and you do that as many times as you want. Um, You know, I, at this point, I'm not concerned about super fast lap times. I'm, you know, honestly more concerned about just not tossing the bike, especially, mm-hmm. especially with an expensive rental, right? Um, plus, you know, I'm not like a, a crazy rider to begin with. But so, so my point is I didn't really get on the thing where I could tell you what the performance envelope is like. That said, it was a great bike to ride. I mean, it was, it was a ton of fun. Um, you know, I've ridden all kinds of bikes. You know, I've ridden everywhere from a Yamaha R3 to a Super Duke 1290, you know, and, and different things in between. I've ridden the, the Yamaha Nikon, you know, the three-wheeler and whatever. Oh, wow. um, so I've got a fair amount of, you know, things to compare with. Um, but it was great. I mean, um, you know, the, it's got ride modes, right? So there was a little bit of rain the first day anyway. So they I don't know if it's just for that reason, but I think probably the first day that when students are starting out, they put it in rain mode, right? So you've got, you know, throttle control and a lot of traction control, so you can't really get yourself in trouble. And then as you progress, they put it into road mode. And then I'm guessing, you know, as you get really good, they'll let you put it into, you know, the sport race mode, whatever other modes are on there. I start, you know, playing around with the, with the, the controls and stuff like that. One thing for sure and I, and I didn't realize that until I got back on my Z900 RS, which is a great bike. I love it for street riding, um, was how good the brakes on the BMW were in comparison. Mm-hmm. Because after I come back from superbike school that weekend, Gene and I just went for a ride, you know, just went to get some lunch or breakfast or whatever it was. And the first time I got on the brakes, I thought there was something wrong <laughs> because it was like, what is all this? <laughs> what's all the squeezing that I have to do kind of thing? Yeah, you know, just yeah. they're, you they're recalibrate, just not, don't you? Not, yeah, not as sensitive. But it is interesting, you know, again, back to the thing about muscle memory and training yourself, because I've ridden this bike a lot, 
once I realized, oh, okay, yeah, this, this, the feel is different, then it was fine. You know, then I was back to, yeah. okay, I'm riding the Z900, Z900 RS. I'm not riding the BMW right now kind of thing. Um, so you weren't scraping uh, the foot pegs as you were going around corners then after, no, your, no, no. Uh, after I mean, your trip on the BMW? No, I mean, m- maybe when I get to level three, <laughs> we'll, start doing, we'll start doing that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not anywhere close to like knee down yet or anything like that. Um, although, you know, you know, that comes, right? It'll come when it happens, it happens. It'll be fun. I'm not too worried about it. And, you know, the main thing is just picking up your speed, right? The main thing is get the good technique, ride properly. And when you're fast enough, guess what? You're gonna, your knee's going to be down because that's just yeah. what happens, right? Yeah, um, yeah, that's right, yeah. But, you know, yeah. on the BMW, it's nice because it does have a quick shifter up and down, which works yeah. excellent in every gear change. I remember riding a BMW R1200R, just demoed it. And I remember them when before we took off on the demo ride, they're like, yes, this bike does have up and down shifting through all the gears, but don't expect too much third and below, <laughs> you know, like, like the, like the, the auto blipping, you know, going third yeah. to second, your know, second to first, they said it's rough. So we're just telling you that right now before you complain. Uh, and sure enough, yeah, it was on the R1, the, the S1000RR. I mean, every gear change is smooth, just smooth as butter yeah. up, down, whatever you want to do. Um, the only, my only complaint, and it's amazing because it's got to be what a 22, $25,000 bike is yeah. it is, it's difficult to get it into neutral. And evidently, I, at first I thought it was just the one, the bike I was on, but it turns out they're all like that. And, it, you know, it's a design feature, I guess. And, you know, the, what the instructor explained to me was he said, he's like, his understanding, he said, was like, look, basically BMW has worked really hard to get this quick shifter thing working as smoothly as possible. And in the process, it's not like it's on purpose, but in the process of getting this to work well at high acceleration and, and 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 quick deceleration and whatever the sacrifice is it really doesn't like to shift into neutral yeah, sure, so sure. and it's like fine it's like if that's the sacrifice that's that's not that big a deal but it yeah. just it just was kind of weird to be like all right so you know i have this i'm at this superbike school and i'm you know renting this really cool motorcycle and i come off the track and i can't get the thing into neutral and you're staring at your foot for about five minutes <laughs> yeah, like what am i doing wrong what am i doing wrong yeah but, okay. So, champagne problems, Chris. Champagne uh, problems. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, okay, well. You know, I can't I, get my S1000RR into neutral. <laughs> get the violins out. Yeah. Uh, you know, for sure. I'd much rather have that problem than <laughs> having a false neutral, you know, when I'm out of the track at over 100 miles an hour. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, Definitely. So, a question I have for you. So, is, is that you in the photo? No, that's, um, that's Michael Dunlop. And yes. that, that's, um, yeah, that's taken on the Isle of Man, TT. So, um, yeah, I was looking for a photograph of somebody riding well. And he's an amazing road, um, road racer, Michael Dunlop, from the Dunlop family. And, um, yeah, that, so Joey Dunlop, he, he was amazing, um, but sadly died um, when he was 48. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're well into their road racing, the Dunlops. Yeah. But, yeah, he's, um, he's got his knee down. He's going around one of these corners got this photograph i found it um you know trawling through the um the isle of man tt pictures and i contacted the photographer and i said do you mind if i um use this photograph for my book cover and he said that'll be 50 quid so um okay so yeah they've been uh obliged and um yeah i got yeah. someone to uh to do the to do the uh, the graphic design for me but yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's a cool photo isn't it cool yeah no it's awesome 
No, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I wish that were me. Sadly not, no. <laughs> so has, has it been a while since you've ridden on the track? Because I know you talked yeah, about it a little bit in the book. Yeah, it has. Um, it's, I think, just family life and, uh, you know, commitments and the rest of it. And probably the bike I had. So after my GSXR got stolen, I got um, a Honda VFR 800. Mm-hmm. Pretty good bike, but it's not really a track bike, to be honest. So, so yeah, I think... Um, the next bike I buy will be uh, be a sportier bike, a sports bike. Maybe not, maybe not a thousand. Maybe a seven fifty. Maybe a, a GSX or seven fifty or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something that I can take on track, um, as well as the roads. Um, but yeah, it's been a been a few years since since I did a track day. But yeah, they're great fun. Great yeah. fun. Yeah. When when you were doing track days, where what what tracks were you going to? So uh, I was living in london so i used to go to brands hatch quite a lot brands hatch indie which is the short circuit and then there's a gp version which is slightly longer um so i did both of those yeah that's that's a great track um i've been to cadwell park which is up in the northwest sort of towards liverpool um i've been to cadwell park which is um it's up to the east of that um can't think where else. Oh, uh, Lydon, which is a small track down in Kent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've been to a few tracks. Um, yeah, they, they're uh, they're on the British Superbike calendar. So okay. we've got our, our domestic series, Superbike yeah, Racing. Right. Um, but the tracks are, I don't know what the tracks are like in um, Moto America, but the tracks, some of our tracks are quite small, quite narrow, especially Cadwell Park. So it's got this uh, section called, um, it's called the Mountain, but basically it's like a, a jump so you see these bikes are getting about i don't know half a meter of air going oh, over wow. this jump mm-hmm. um but that track is really really narrow and twisty and um yeah you, you do feel slightly concerned that you might uh, run off the edge of it um but yeah um we've got we've got some good tracks in the uk um but yeah they're, they're probably nowhere near as good as or as big as the ones in um, in the states yeah that that i'm not sure like i i'm not that you know i um I used to watch uh, Formula One racing, so you know, familiar with some of the the you know United Kingdom tracks from that. Um, oh yeah, Donington. I've also done Donington. That's that's okay. on the calendar, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I'm aware of uh, British Superbike. I I, just, I haven't watched it just because I just don't have the time. I'd actually love to because I know there's a, a lot of good stuff happens in that series. You know, I, I mostly follow Moto America just as the American series, and then when I can, you know, Moto GP, World Superbike, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, I'm I'm not really sure how the tracks compare. What what I am looking forward to is next weekend. Gene and I are going to see Moto America race at Southern New Jersey at New Jersey Motorsports Park, which is the track where I just did California Superbike School. So oh, wow. it'll it'll be interesting, I don't know, just to see, just to watch the guys racing on a track I'm at least familiar with. You know, at least I've I've been on nowhere near the speeds that they're doing, um, but but just to know like the layout of the track and you know where I had difficulties and 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 things should should be should be interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Bit yeah. of a bit of track knowledge. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, so, in fact, it's interesting too because you know next year I want to do levels three and four with California Superbike School, and it's not like it has to be, but I'm almost like it probably would make sense to go back and do it at the same track, you know, yeah. just just to kind of complete you know their whole training program, you know, in the in the same kind of environment, and then from there maybe try different tracks and things like that. So, what are these different levels of the uh, the California Superbike School? 
Yeah. So the primarily, so level one basically handles uh, your control of the motorcycle. So, you know, it's focused on throttle control, braking uh, yeah. and steering inputs. The second level is mostly regarding vision, getting you to think about or focus on where and how you're looking, you know, as you navigate the track. Level three gets into, I don't know much about it, I haven't done it yet, but that gets into kind of the man-machine interface. So, yes, in part, it's body position, um, you know, where they get you to use your, your body position properly. And then level four is basically, it's just custom, custom tailored to whatever the, you know, yeah. whatever the student needs, depending on like where they're at in overall ability and, and what they're trying to accomplish. So it, it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, one of the things I've commented on and talking about this is, you know, done a couple track days prior and, you know, I did a track day school and, you know, I was already aware of the idea of body positioning. And I think you talk about it in, in your book too, mm-hmm. um, you know, positioning of your upper body and, and using that to help minimize the lean on the bike and turns and that kind of thing. Um, you know, and so I was starting to get, you know, some decent, not like I was hanging off the bike, but I was definitely starting to get off center of the bike. And you could see, you know, some, because I, I buy some of the, the uh, track day photographer photos and stuff like that, yeah. you know, where, where I am starting to use my upper body properly. And then doing California Superbike School, because they don't address that in levels one and two, I, I just didn't, I wasn't worried about it. I didn't focus on it. I was like, okay, what, what's, the, what's the, the things that they're teaching, the skills that they're teaching, and what's the exercises, and let me do that. And none of them required worrying about body position. You know, so if, if you look at the photos of like, you know, my last track day, and then California Superbike School, it's like, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't moving my upper body at all. But, you know, again, one, it was kind of because I wasn't worried about it. And two, because that's not what they're focused on. Yeah. You know, I'm sure if I was doing it because I was comfortable at it, that they're not going to say, don't do that. You know, they're, they're going to go, okay, well, that's the level you're at. Now we'll, we'll work with that, you know, with levels one and two. But so level three is where they start to get into that. And then I guess, you know, not just body position, but, you know, I guess how, you, how your body position affects the dynamics of the motorcycle and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah sure. So, I mean, so it, looking forward to that. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, yeah, I am. Um, I'm a big fan of training. Um, you know, additional training. I've always been um, wanting to do. We, we've got uh, some great um, rider training in the UK. We, we, I think we have got a California Superbike School yeah. here, it's run yeah. by Andy Ibert, I think. Okay. But there, there's also road-based training. So there's a lot of guys who are ex-coppers, you know, ex-policemen. Um, you know, so they ride every day you know, often at high speeds, they, they ride to a very high standard and they run these courses on the road where they're basically, it's pretty much one-to-one or one-to-two. So, you know, one instructor to two people. So you'll you'll be observed for a bit and you'll follow for a bit and then you swap over. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that's just to have someone watching you and critiquing you. Yeah. You know, everybody... Everybody needs to be critiqued, I think, um, Absolutely. because it's the last, the last person to see your, you know, an individual's faults is themselves, isn't it? So I think we all benefit from that. But just to have somebody who knows what they're doing, who's probably critiqued themselves regularly, watching how you're riding and giving you some pointers, I think uh, that's, that's great. And, you know, on track days, you've got these marshals who you probably have them in the States as well. Mm, so sure. these are guys who are paid by the the track day companies and they're there to use and i'm always astonished how few people actually go up to these guys you know with with their orange bibs on them and say look can you 
can you follow me around? Can you give me some pointers? Can you show me the lines? Right. They're just sort of sitting there twiddling their thumbs and they're thinking, these guys are going to show you. It doesn't cost you any more. You know, use them. Right. Go yeah. out there Absolutely. and um, and listen to what they've got to say. And and they well, you know they they won't tell you to do all these things at once. Like you know the California Superbike School, you do these bits, you change these bits one at a time. So you focus yeah. on one area, and you and you get that sorted. Then you focus on the next area, and you get that yeah. sorted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, and and what what's good about it too, and you know, and, and I'm sure a lot of programs are like this, but so you know, with California Superbike School, the way it's broken down. So it's, it's more or less, I think it's pretty much five drills per level, at least in levels one or two. So like you become familiar with the, you know, the, the drill, what it, what it is, what, what skill you're working on and the name of it. So then later when you're talking to the, the instructor, you know, like after a session out on track, like you now have a kind of a vocabulary and yeah, maybe it's specific to California Superbike School, but you kind of have a vocabulary that you can use with the instructor to kind of quickly talk about what happened and maybe, you know, where you need help. And, and, you know, on your point about everyone needing a coach, like, absolutely. I mean, I already believed in that, but it really struck home on the second day because on the first day, I guess it was level one. Yeah. Level one. One of the things they teach you is what they call quick turn, which basically is just learning to initiate the turn in, you know, quickly, you know, with correct amount of pressure on the handlebars to get the bike really over and quickly onto your line for the turn, right? And and just the point that by doing that, you can get on the gas sooner. It's it's more efficient. It's smoother. It, you know, it feels better. Um, and so I, I thought I had gotten pretty good at that. Like I felt I was good at that on the first day. And then, okay, second day we're doing level two, you know, and it's not like you're supposed to forget level one. It's like you're building, right? Skills one mm-hmm. on, on the other. And towards the end of the day, you know, the instructor pulled me aside and he said, look, he's like, today we're just focusing on these level two drills. So I didn't want to say anything, but you know, you're now looking good enough with that stuff that I want to point out that yesterday you were really good doing your quick turn. And now all of a sudden you're not doing it like today. I'm not, I'm not seeing you do it. What's going on. And it was just really interesting. It was like one of those aha moments. Cause I'm like, it's not like I didn't believe him, but I'm like, dude, I had no idea. Like I, I, I thought I was doing everything I was doing from the day before. And it, you know, per him, he's like, he's like, you're not that this is kind of dropped out. So now when we go out this next session, I want you to focus on that. And it was just, it was really, it really dinged in. It was like, so I was like, okay, good. I'm going out and I'm doing my quick turns. And it was like, now look at that. Look at how the bike is just flopping over. (laughs) And it wasn't like I was struggling, but I was like, the guy's absolutely right. It's like, you know, now the bike is just going boop. And, and it was like, it was, the turn-in was easier. It was easy to hit my apex. Like I was hitting all my marks. Whereas prior, again, it didn't feel like I was struggling. But when I compared, I was like, no, I wasn't doing that. So yeah. I, the point is, I wouldn't have realized that if it wasn't for the instructor observing me and saying, hey, yeah. you know, I, I noticed this thing. So, yeah. This is a quick break to mention the affiliates program for my podcast. If you go to the affiliates page on my website, you'll see the companies that I have partnered with to bring you some of the motorcycle gear and services that I use myself. Not only will you benefit from their products and services, but depending on the product you choose, you may also get a discount. By using these links to make a purchase, you will also be supporting the podcast and my goal to help grow the sport of motorcycling. My affiliate partners are author Andrew Goodman and his book, Shiny Side Up, From First Ride to Fast Rider. Bond Body Armor, which provides excellent armored gear for hot weather conditions, 
that can also be used year-round with the cool weather gear you probably already have. Break Free, makers of the smart brake light for your helmet, heroic racing apparel, designer and manufacturer of high-quality custom and off-the-rack gear for street and track riding, including leather gloves, jackets, tracksuits, and their armored Kevlar hoodie. Motul, which provides the slacker digital suspension tuner, which makes it easy for anyone to set the front and rear seg on their motorcycle without needing help from anyone else. And Street Skills LLC, which provides the Cornering Confidence book and online course, which really helped me improve my street riding skills, including the proper use of trail braking. And now, back to the show. But listen, I mean, don't beat yourself up because... There's a no, lot of no, stuff. No, no. There's a lot of stuff going oh, yeah. on on a track day. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to take in, isn't there? And uh, you're sitting, it, you're almost sitting there going, "Whoa!" And, and that's what I love about it, and and that's why you know it is like anything, like street riding. It's practice, practice, practice. Yeah, you know. Sure. And and so now, so now my thing is, you know, before the season winds down, because it's already whatever, getting a little cooler, but you know, it won't yeah, be long sure. before the leaves are falling off the trees and whatever. Um, I'm like, let me get in one or two more track days. I'm just going to go for a novice track day. You know, I may ask for help from a coach or they're always available. And sometimes they'll, he'll grab you and show you some things, but just like take now what I've learned from California Superbike school and just get out on the track and practice my understanding of what that is and see how it goes. You know, do that at least two times, kind of wrap up the season and then, you know, next year, yeah, start doing track days again. I want to do more instruction, more training, um, but kind of, kind of mix it, right? So it's like learn some stuff, practice, practice, practice. Sure, sure. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, um, yeah, it takes it takes time to to consolidate it all, doesn't it? You, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and when I did the the, the track day, you know, one of the things that it was like a one day. They call it Riders Academy. It's like their one day instructional program. Uh, the guy that runs the program said, you know, hey everybody, I. You just want just think about this. I just want you to be aware that what we're doing here on the track, riding a motorcycle, is actually a very simple thing. However, <laughs> there's a great deal of nuance to it, and and mm-hmm. that's, I think that's that's largely what attracts me to it because it it's it's fairly easy to learn to do. You know, like it, the the training. I think the requirements are maybe a little less stringent in the U.S. than let's say in the U.K. or other parts of Europe, um, but you know, it's pretty easy. You know, you do a one day or two day class or whatever, and you get on a motorcycle and, and you're moving around and you can control the gas and you can control the brakes and all that kind of stuff. And that's good. But that's a long way from the things you can learn and, and the, you know, how well you can learn to control a motorcycle. Mm. You know, well, you never, you never finish do you these, no, these no, guys, exactly. these guys who, uh, I mean, I suppose it's, that's just life, isn't it? But, these these guys who've won multiple world championships, they're still every time they go out and ride, they're they're trying to get better. You know, they, it's not like they reach a level and they say, right, that's it, I'm right. good. Right. Well, and and it's funny. I was just listening to a podcast where they were talking. It's a actually they they talk about all different racing series. You know. Uh, World Superbike and MotoGP and stuff, but they cover a lot of Moto America. And they were talking about Cameron Bobier, who is he's won, I believe it's five Superbike championships in Moto America. He's working on number six. It looks like it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were talking about that, like how in, in talking with him, seeing him around the paddock, interviewing him, whatever, 
it, the guy is never satisfied. And it, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean he doesn't appreciate what he's accomplished, but it's not like he goes, okay, five championships in the bag. I've mastered it. You know, now I can just take it easy. It's like, no, it's like they're constantly looking. What, what can they improve on the bike? How can he improve? How can he get a slightly faster lap time? How does he beat his lap time from last year? You know, and it's that constant challenge, which is really definitely yeah. keeps it interesting. You know? Yeah. There's a, there's a certain sort of killer instinct that the, um, that the racer has. Yeah. And I must be honest, I don't have it. I went on a track day and, you know, you, you go in the novice group and, um, all these people who really shouldn't be in the novice group and they're yes. riding I've faster than they should because they, they like to overtake rather than be overtaken by other people right. and then um, you, you just think well i was riding along thinking okay okay after you after you <laughs> i think i'm never going to be a racer i'm way too i'm way too soft um but yeah oh yeah you know yeah. i i think it's the the risk reward thing you like what what's the reward for you i guess in doing it so without a doubt you know i'm sure there are you know, amateur like club racers who race as hard as the pros. But yeah, for me personally, I think I'm kind of like you, like that same, like I just go out, I just want to enjoy being on the track. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to do something you can't enjoy as much on the street just because of the nature of it, not have all the distractions of the street or whatever. But there's nothing, I don't win anything. Like like if, if I get the fastest lap time, I, okay, I get a sense of satisfaction and maybe bragging rights, but I don't really get anything, right? So the risk-reward factor, like the possibility of bending the bike and hurting myself, just for me, doesn't add up. You know, if you're, mm-hmm. a pro, you're a pro racer or whatever, you know, you're a racer and you're trying to prove yourself and get onto the great team or you want to make sure your contract gets renewed, you know, it's the, the motivation's a little different. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, some people, some people, well, people race for different reasons. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think track days from my perspective, I think anyone who starts riding, you know, as soon as you feel comfortable enough to do a track day, then definitely go, go and do one because it will teach you when you ride on the street, it doesn't really matter what bike you're riding. You, you're really unlikely to be testing it to its limits you know the throttle right. the yeah. brake and, and and especially leaning it over you just never get anywhere near those limits and as a result when you're on track and you are really you know high up in the revs all of those the throttle is going to be a lot more sensitive so you have to be much more controlled much more nuanced with, with the throttle the brakes you'll be braking a lot harder so you need to be more progressive with the brakes um, but the main benefit as I see it is, is you just get to lean the bike so much further over than you normally would right. on the road. So when you start riding, when I started, I had several of those moments where you go into a corner, probably because I was, che- I was following a rider who was more experienced than me and they went in as fast and I followed them into the corner, but I didn't have the skills to get around the corner. So I basically froze up on the bars, stood the bike up and just ran off, into not not into the bushes but you know into the the gravel on the side of the road um and then you kind of sit there scratching your head going oh okay what was that all about i could have probably made that corner but i just didn't have the uh, the comfort to lean the bike over any further Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it suddenly tightened up on me but when you go and do a track day you've got this track there's nobody coming the other way the track's nice and wide you can really sort of feel how comfortable it is to lean the bike over. And I mean, I don't think you're ever going to test those kind of lean angles on the road unless you're a road racer. 
So uh, you you you, right. you build your comfort level on the track, and then when you go back to the road, you shouldn't ever be in any any of those kind of situations again because you should feel comfortable doing it. Yeah, totally. It's, it's great. It's a great I, thing to do. I, I mean, I think there are exceptions. You know, I, I don't know what the equivalent expression in, in England is, but you know, you have street squids. You know, right? Like you know, guys that guys and girls that just ride like crazy on sport bikes on public roadways. Um, you know, which I do not advocate doing. Um, you know, there, there are people that have the skills to do it. You know, they, they go run the canyons and stuff out in California, but you know, everyone's got to make up their own mind about things. But to me, the risks just aren't worth the, the rewards when you can go do the same thing at a track and it, it, it's that much better, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't see that much of that kind of behavior nowadays, but um, maybe it's just because I'm getting older and <laughs> I'm not associating with those kind of people anymore. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you can you can just search YouTube. You can check all the YouTube. Oh, listen, there's guys. Like there's most of the guys <laughs> pulling wheelies with no helmet on. You know, yeah. stand up wheelies on the on the motorway. They're they're in America on the freeway. You there know? we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. I've seen them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, any, anyone who is watching now, if you have any questions for us, you can just uh, leave comments for uh for either andrew or myself um so before we kind of start winding it down you maybe just want to just kind of summarize let's talk a little bit about what what you cover in the book like any particular chapters you know you think people would be the most interested in or yeah so it's kind of split up into three parts really so the sort of initial section of the book is is the basics which um yeah is basically about you know, doing a test, how to buy a bike, what kind of bikes are available and, you know, buying the one that's suitable for you, i.e. a beginner bike. Um, and then the sec- second section is about setting it up properly, you know, so uh, setting up suspension, maybe tweaking it um, if you want to buy some accessories for it, doing training, that kind of stuff. So basically getting yourself and your bike set up, um, you know, suspension, tires uh, gear that you might be that you might want to wear um, and then the section three is about riding so all of the sort of specialist skills to do with uh, you know cornering overtaking um riding in bad weather touring that kind of stuff track days mm-hmm. so yeah it's, it's sort of broken up into those sections but yeah i think um yeah you don't have to read it in one go you can just um you can use it almost like a reference book so sure. if you've got questions on a certain certain subject then um yeah just just go to that chapter and yeah and see what it says but yeah i think well you read the book what did you yeah. think um what do you think of it i i think it's really good i mean i, I read it cover to cover and you know I, I wanted to do that before we talked about it you know just so i had some you know some knowledge of what we were talking about but you know i've i've been riding now since 2016 so i've got you know 4 years of experience i don't know i probably finished this before i started doing my track days or maybe i had done the first one or something like that um you know probably got it's going on 13,000, maybe maybe 14,000 miles under my belt, which really compared to a lot of riders is not that much at all. Um, but, but a fair amount of experience and I've studied a lot, I've read a lot. Um, but the thing was, so even given that, you know, I consider myself fairly knowledgeable of the subject, this was really good because you just, you, you cover the whole spectrum, which is why I think it's great for a new rider because someone who is new to it and they're trying to figure it out, they can just kind of, and again, like I said, you can kind of use it as a reference book. I mean, the you know, table of contents is really good. So you can kind of just look for something you're, whatever, interested in or having difficulty with and find, you know, a, a nice concise chapter that just kind of lays it all out or you read the whole thing 
and you'll get the whole picture of you know, road race. I mean, road riding, right? Cause you don't, you don't get into off-road and all that kind of stuff, but you know, get the big picture of as a new rider, what you can, what can you expect riding on the street and what are the things you could look forward to doing the training, maybe doing street riding, you know, uh, track riding, that kind of stuff down the road. But for me, it just, it was a really good, I don't know how to put it. Like it just helped tie a lot of loose ends together, I guess. Um, Cause it's just things because you cover all those things. It was like, okay, A to B boom. And it was like, just certain things kind of fell into place. And I, I don't remember specifics. It's been a while since I finished the book. Actually I had yeah. underlined some different things in here, but you know, just things regarding chassis performance and chassis setup and, you know, engine design and, you know, what's, what's the advantage of certain engine types and, you know, things of that. Yeah, sort. sure. So, sure. Yeah. yeah that, I mean, there is a bit of, because I, because I'm an engineer, uh, I've got that kind of engineering mind. Yeah. So I, I've always asking questions about things and, and then when you write a book, you, you, you kind of got to know what you're talking about. So <laughs> you yes. go away, you think, you think you, you think you understand a the subject, then you go away and you make sure you understand it. And then you, uh, then you write it in a book and then, yeah. And then yeah. you give it to an editor who knows what they're talking about. And they say, are you sure? He says, are you sure about that? And you say, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And then you check it again and <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. yeah. Right. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, I'm glad, well, I'm glad you found it you found it useful so um, yeah that's good yeah, that's good to yeah hear. absolutely absolutely yeah I'm, I'm glad you wrote it i mean uh the i hope you i hope you're glad you wrote it i'm sure it was yeah a lot of, listen, I'll, i'm sure it was a lot of a lot of work i mean I've, I've never written a book i know people like my dad had written a book and whatever and, and i know it it can take a lot of, it takes a lot of time like to get everything sorted and organized and straightened out and the revisions and the editing and you know that kind of thing yeah i think i think if i was writing a book about some other subject that I wasn't really interested in. I just don't think I, well, I wouldn't do I it. I probably wouldn't do you it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for me, it wasn't, it wasn't um, a chore at all. I mean, it took a long time to do, but I only ever wrote it when I was feeling inspired to write it. And when you do that, you're always going to enjoy doing what you're doing. So, so no, it was, it was great fun. I really enjoyed writing it and um, yeah, I would do it again. Um, yeah. It's, it's, um, if I had the time, all these podcasts I'm listening to, Chris. Oh yeah, no, it's well, that's a, it's a, that's a, it's a problem, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, people say, why, why, why would you write a book? You know, so, so kind of 19th century, but I do, I am a fan of books, you know, I've got loads of books and they've given me a lot, you know, I find them to be nice little concise condensed wisdom. Right. And, right. and and I like that that you can just say here it's it's in here, right. um, and it can sit on a bookshelf for twenty years, and yeah, you know, people can read it or not, um, but it's there. It's a mm-hmm. physical thing, yeah. Um, and, no, and yeah, and, you know, podcasts and, are, are the future, but I still think there's a place for a book. Yeah. No, I think for sure, and you know, even for people who are not like I, I don't read paper books much anymore. Um, you've got the Kindle version, and which actually, because I think I'd started reading the paper version and then I just switched over to the Kindle version just because it's, it's easier for me and you could just sure. screen, screenshots and stuff like that. Um, but I, you know, maybe books like, you know, in this format with paper go away, but the, the notion of it, like what a book is like a, whatever you want to call it, a, a c- collection of information, right. Yeah. Um, an electronic format that's still valuable, you know, I mean, pod- podcasts are their thing, you know, it's like, talking like radio kind of thing which is suitable for certain 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 topics and things and one of the reasons you know it's 
uh, maybe this, I don't know what this is. Maybe the eighth one I'm doing is a Facebook live, you know, one, it was kind of just seemed to be the trend, you know, when the whole COVID thing started, you saw more and more people, especially in motorsports, like motorcycling and stuff, I guess, because a lot of the racers weren't racing, you know, at the time. So they were getting on zoom and doing Facebook live mm -hmm. and you know, that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know what, why not start doing the video too? Because, we have the benefit that, you know, when it's appropriate can show things, you know, to viewers, but, you know, approach it in a way so that it can just be the audio too. So, you know, it can just go out in podcast format. But my point is that there, there are reasons, there are times I would rather read a book, whether it's electronic or on paper, than I want to watch a video or listen to a podcast or something like that. You know, I mean, just the fact that, you know, it's like random access, <laughs> right? You know, in a book, right? It's like a podcast. Yeah, you can fast forward through, but it's not indexed or you know, even in videos. And I think that's that's why like a lot of the successful YouTubers, their videos are, tend to be very short. You know, it's like little bites of three or five minutes, like little chunks. So, you know, if you're like, okay, I think I want to listen to this, you know, all you invest is five minutes. And if it wasn't really for you, you didn't lose that much. You know, whereas if it's like an hour long video, you know, you don't know kind of thing. Yeah, but do you think people have the have the attention span nowadays that they that they're actually gonna sit down and, and read a book? Because people That's you know, people are on Twitter, um, you know, the the whole way that that the media tries to put things out there, you know, these kind of clickbait things, it's all about grabbing people's attention. Right. As you say, only you're only trying to, to hold their attention for whatever it is, twenty five seconds as much as they can stand before they have to look at their phone. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a bit like, you know, a three-year-old or something. If that yeah, might, a three-year-old's probably got a, a higher attention span than a lot span. of people I know. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I don't know. It's, it's a good question. I don't know. I, I guess, uh, whatever the historians we'll will be the ones that answer that <laughs> <laughs> or the statisticians or whatever. Well, we had yeah. this, this idea that, you know, a post COVID world would be one where, where you, um, you know, you've got a lot more time on your hands. So you, you could do things like read books and, you know, take a, take a bit more time to do stuff that you enjoy rather than, you know, working, working, working all the time. I mean, it did feel to me at least um, before COVID came along that the world was just getting so frantic that it was almost getting to kind of a bursting point and something was going to come along to slow that, it down that, you know, the, the straw that broke the camel's back there was going to be something that was going to come along and do that. And, and I think it, it's almost like the whole earth just went <sighs> for a bit, you know, mm. um, but yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe things will slow down a bit. It's getting yeah. pretty frantic, isn't it? Uh, yeah. That's an interesting point. I mean, um, I know for sure, you know, our lifestyle has changed with the whole thing. I mean, you know, the working from home has changed things, you know, Fortunately, it was during the nice weather, the summertime, we were barbecuing. Yeah, sure. Like, I, I think this, this summer, we barbecued more than we did in the last five or six years. You know, we've been in this house kind of thing. Um, you know, maybe it's not the best use of time, but, you know, get to, get to watch some stuff on Netflix. I've actually seen, we've actually seen some really cool series and things, you know, um, that, that I might not have taken the time to watch. Uh, yeah. yeah. I've been enjoying um, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on um Amazon Prime. I don't know if you've seen okay. that one. No, set in New York. It, it's oh, a, right. a period drama set in the, the late 50s and early 60s. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. I'd recommend it. Yeah, oh, cool. If you've got Prime. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting the amount of stuff that's out there. Honestly, like you go <laughs> you go into Netflix or whatever, and it's like who's who's making all this stuff? There's evidently a lot of people in the film industry, you know. And and I guess that's been a great thing about the internet, you know, and all the streaming stuff is th- there's demand for so much more content. You know, there, there always was right since whatever black and white silent movies started, right? There was demand for that kind of content, mm. but it was so you know between the technology and the expense it costs so much to make these things you know you had limited content but now i'm just amazed i'm like where are all these where are all these producers and directors and actors coming from you know that's pretty cool it's pretty cool actually yeah well these these are big companies now you know these are the big these are the big hollywood these are the big hollywood uh, big hitters aren't they so yeah shaping shaping how we think about life perhaps yeah hopefully (laughs) not hopefully not too much but yeah well, honestly, I mean that that it's like anything. It's like how you approach motorcycling. It's like how do how do you approach books? How do you approach movies? You know, it's an opportunity to challenge. Like you can challenge for yourself how you think. Yes, there's yeah. the opportunity for having th- ways of thinking fed to you, I guess. And you know, you can get into the whole George Orwell, 1984, and media controlling how we think. But you know, it's also just whatever. You know, it's like it's stuff that's out there for you to take in and then you decide what to do with it. And if it's good for you or it's not good for you or whatever yeah. happens to be. So, yeah. Good. Well, cool. All right. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll kind of wind it down a little bit. I know it's uh, Andrew has been uh, really cool about joining me. Um, it's, it's five hours further ahead for him. So we're going after we're after midnight by you, I think. Right. Yeah, about quarter after. So uh, we can start winding it down. But um, I did want to mention Andrew is gracious enough. So he's made um, five copies of his book available um, that I'm going to be offering to supporters of the podcast. So the the next five people who you know want to want to join in and and support the podcast financially, you know, at the the twenty dollar and up level, you'll get a copy of Shiny Side Up uh, sent to you. Uh, if you're in the U.S. I, I will send it to you free of charge. If you're outside the U.S., we'll talk. We'll figure something out depending on, we'll figure something what, out. on what it costs to ship. But we'll, we'll, we'll kind of figure out something out if you're interested. And, and just bear in mind that that's a one-time $20 contribution to support the podcast. That's not like a monthly $20 or anything like that. So really awesome book. Um, I, I enjoyed reading it. I definitely encourage people to read it. I have a, a new writers group on my Facebook page. I've got like 150 people in there now. So I'm encouraging them to take a look. So uh, just to do what I can to, to help, help, help you get, you know, bigger, bigger readership. Cause uh, yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's something everyone. And like I said, even, you know, even a writer like myself, I mean, I'm not expert writer, but um, you know, I'm fairly accomplished and I got a lot out of it. So, and, and even just to know, like, I'm glad you wrote this book cause now I don't have to write it. Um, <laughs> you're welcome (laughs) it was my pleasure (laughs) you know as as, even just as something as a gift for people like you know someone who's getting started or is maybe interested they might want to try motorcycling just something that they could kind of even if they just flip through it you know go through a table of contents you know read chapters of interest um i think it will give them a you know a good a good overall understanding of the subject so thank you for writing it andrew that's awesome and you're uh, you're welcome thank you thank you for your kind words my, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, anything you wanted to just say to kind of wrap things up or you want to tell people how they can reach you if they have questions about the book or anything? Oh, um, yeah. How can they reach me? Um, so I'm on um, Instagram. And uh, so it's uh, shinysideup. Insta, Insta, Insta. Da, da, okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, on Twitter. So uh, at shinysideupnet. 
um so yeah just drop me drop me a note or um yeah um i've got a facebook page as well but um, okay cool yeah i'll I'll put the links to those in the uh the notes the show notes for the podcast so people can find it easily yeah i've got a website as well shiny it's shiny side up with hyphens in the middle shiny hyphen side hyphen up dot net i'll put that as well yeah. You, you kind of have some blog posts and stuff there, right? Yeah, when I, when I've got the time to write uh, yeah, blog man. blog posts, yeah. I, I, yeah. Like when I have the time, I get out one of my podcast episodes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome that you're doing it. I mean, you know, the more content that's out there, you know, especially you know, stuff by people who know what they're talking about, you know, the better. So. Yeah, and thank you for doing your pod as well. It's, uh, oh, it's a great resource and, um, you know, some really great guests you get on. So uh, Thank you, thank you. Yeah, glad yeah. to have you as a listener. That's always, yeah. Yeah, it's, always, it's always cool to be able to interview a listener. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as you know, if you ever have, you know, suggestions for topics or whatever, just let me know, you know, shoot me an yeah. email or whatever. All right, so uh, I guess we'll wind it down. If you want to hang tight, we'll just we'll chat a little bit after I shut yeah. it down. But uh, good night, everyone. Thank you for joining us, and uh, I will see you next week. If you'd like to find out more about my podcast or find the earlier podcast episodes, just point your web browser to soyouwantaridamotorcycle.com or find the link in the show notes included with this episode in your podcast app. If you have any questions about the show or the topics discussed, or if you want to send me feedback, you can email me anytime at soyouwantaride at yahoo.com. That address is also in the podcast notes. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where I share lots of links to other people's motorcycle articles and video content, as well as providing a lot of my own motorcycle-related photos and content. Just search for So You Want to Ride, or find the links on my website, or, again, in the podcast notes. There are two big ways you can help support the show. One is free, and one is paid. If you'd like to help support the podcast financially, you can donate using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher or just click the donate link at the upper right on my website. I also now have a podcast supporters page on the website, which lists all of the listeners who are supporting the podcast. Total donations of $5 to $9 will make you a member of the Thumper Club, where I'll list your name and any social media links that you want to provide. Donations of $10 and up will make you a member of one of the other clubs where I'll include your photo and biography as well as any links you want to provide. Any commercial organization that would like to support the podcast to help promote their products and services can contact me directly for the available options. All donations will be put to very good use to cover operating expenses and to help promote and expand the podcast. Anything you care to donate will be greatly appreciated. The free way to help is just help me spread the word so we can continue to grow my online and listener communities. So please share the link to my podcast and my social media with family, friends, and coworkers. And also, please leave me a rating and some comments on iTunes and any other place where you can leave feedback or mention the show. As always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. (laughs) 